Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is now the 12th of January 2024. Been in this thing for two days or two weeks. No, two, no, that's not even two weeks. Hell, I don't even know. We're almost up to a baker's dozen of days. Anyway, in any event, welcome to it because it's a Friday. And that's all that really matters. Who cares about the rest of the crap, to be perfectly honest with you, right? I'm just ready to curse. And uh, God, I wish I could just go off about Nikki Haley. In, in the week in F and Review, I may well do that. What a horrible debate performance. We'll get into that in a second. It's just I watched that thing or watched most of that thing, and I, you know, I was doing other stuff and sort of listening out of the corner of my ear, and she's just obnoxious. I know. Maybe I'm just a horrible misogynist, but listening to her, going to DeSantisLies.com. What, you, you didn't bother to do your homework? You can't just recite? If he's so horrible... And nonstop lying, can't you recite the truth? And then the DeSantis team puts out a video of her just being a complete and total fraud, saying one thing and then saying the other thing. And it's like, oh, man, that is brutal. That is just brutal. I don't know the answer to the question, but I do know the question. Was she always as bad as a candidate? And we just didn't notice because nobody was paying attention to her? Or is she cracking under the pressure of people paying attention to her. I don't know what the answer is. I just know that I don't want to ask the question anymore for fear that she'll keep talking. Anyway, don't forget the Weekend Effing Review will be up at patreon.com slash Podcast or derekhunter.locals.com at uh, 12.01, just after midnight Eastern time tonight. It's the Week in Effing Review. The news talked about the way the news not only deserves to be talked about, but honestly, in this day and age, it needs to be talked about this way. So we'll get to that and more and all sorts of stuff. There's just good stuff there and support the program. And it's much, much appreciated. Thank you so much. Now let's get started. On days like this, you wonder where do you start? Bill Belichick is out. Okay, that's not really politics, but we'll we'll talk about it. We've got the new, well, all the debates and town halls and everything last night, a lot of audio, we'll get to that. But I want to start off, this, uh, the inflation numbers are out. Is there a more worthless group of human beings out there than economists? They're, you always give weathermen crap. Like, oh, the weathermen get you're wrong 90% of the time and you get to keep your job and blah, blah. Economists are wrong 100% of the time, 99% of the time. Are they ever right? How many times have you heard the phrase uh, higher than expectations or lower than expectations? Well, those expectations are set by economists. And they're never like, hey, it, the numbers came in exactly as predicted. Well, when it comes to inflation, which is going to be a huge issue this year in the election, as it should be, they keep getting everything wrong. Headline CNBC, consumer prices rose 0.3% in December, higher than expected pushing the annual rate to 3.4%. Now, I'm going to read you this. Bear with me. I know your eyes are going to glaze over for a second because, well, this is just how business reporters write. They're not like politicians and wonks don't really speak like normal human beings. Business reporters don't write like normal human beings. They use a lot of percentages, but it's all relevant, and I'll explain it. 
says prices that consumers pay for a variety of goods and services rose more than expected in December, according to the Department of Labor, Depart- Labor Department measure Thursday that shows inflation still holding a grip on the U.S. economy. Uh, who are these people who are surprised by this? These reporters are like oh, surprising news. There's still inflation. Do you not eat food? Do you not go to the grocery store? Do you not buy gasoline? Do you not leave the house at all? Now, some of these people are chuds, and they're probably not invited anywhere. They're unpleasant people. I know some of them. But you can't escape it, even if you're just door dashing and and, uh, Instacarting everything. You, You should notice these things. Maybe they're making too much money. They don't care. So the consumer price index increased 0.3% for the month, higher than the 0.2% estimate at the time. Now, I always say this, it bears repeating again, you control the unit of measure, you control everything. The way things are framed. If this were a Republican president, this story would be framed as a missed, it was 50%, inflation was 50% higher than expected in the month of December. 50% higher. Now, it's true, 0.2%. Take 50% of that, that's 0.1%, add it to it, that equals 0.3%. That sounds really dramatic. A 50% increase, they missed by 50%. It was worse by 50% than what people were thinking. Things must be terrible. Since it's a Democrat in the White House, it's 0.3%, which sounds fairly innocuous until you understand how inflation is calculated, it's compounded monthly, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. That's beside the point. I just wanted to point out that they don't, They use percentages when it's beneficial to them, and they use raw numbers when it's beneficial to them. They never use anything by accident. Said uh, blah, and uh, an estimate at a time when economists and policymakers are seeing inflationary pressures easing. Well, if they're seeing inflationary pressures easing, then why isn't inflation easing? That would be my question. Why do you throw that line in there? Hey, here's something that's going on that shouldn't be going on, according to the people who tell you what's going on. Hmm? If it shouldn't be going on, if everything is easing, then why are things worse than expected? Who the hell was expecting it? Hmm. On a 12-month basis, the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, closed 2023 up 3.4%. Economists surveyed by Dow Jones had been looking for respective readings of 0.2% and 3.2%. That's a pretty big miss there in the grand scheme of things. Overall, as a percentage of the U.S. economy when you're dealing with something that's about, I don't know, $18 trillion, 0.2% is uh, kind of a big deal. There's the kicker. Excluding volatile food and energy prices. Hmm? Yeah, I told you this the other day. The government in the 1970s, you say, well, inflation was through the roof in the 1970s. It was. It was. It was not a good time. Jimmy Carter was not a good president. But they also calculated inflation differently. They included things, you know, crazy things, random things like, I don't know, food and energy costs, things that you need to live. Right. They used to. And then they realized that that was making the inflation numbers higher because they're very sensitive to factors in the economy, bad decisions by government and general inflation. So the government, rather than go, we should probably be super careful in what we're doing here so as to not cause the cost of food and energy to skyrocket, therefore exacerbating the inflationary problem, they said, well, we just won't count it. 
We'll cut out food. Who needs food and energy anyway in the grand scheme of things, right? The cost of a sweater is much more <laughs> indicative of the health of the economy and more important and imperative to people's lives than the ability to eat. And come on, who wants to eat if you're chilly? Am I right? I'm right. So this is the world that we live in. Inflation is still around. You're not going to hear this very much. It's more than expected. I expect this to be a story for less than the weekend because the arbiters are already trying to polish this turd. They're trying to tell you it's not as bad as it is. They tell you the truth, but they tell you the truth in such an innocuous way that you don't necessarily connect the dots. The sentence, excluding volatile food and energy prices. Well, okay, that just seems perfectly normal. They don't tell you why they exclude it. They don't tell you that they didn't always exclude it. They didn't tell you that it's a relatively new phenomenon. They also don't give you the context at least directly connected to that sentence. You can see you got a chart and one, two, three, four paragraphs later, you see food prices increased 0.2% in December, the same as in November. Again, you're using these tiny little percentages. They're not giving you a whole bunch of perspective. They give you a little bit. Egg prices surged 8.9% on the month, but we're still down 23.8% annually. This is where they just throw numbers at you so your eyes glaze over. But that's an almost 10% increase in the cost of eggs in one month. Yet they're arguing, don't worry about it, because it's down 23% on the year, 24% on the year. Okay, that's like the Biden administration arguing, yay, we're near $3 a gallon for gas. It used to be $5. Now it's, okay, well, you caused it to go to $5. When you came into office, it was under $2. Do you get credit if you beat your children Every day for six months, and then you go, you know what? I'm only going to beat you every other day. Should you then be nominated for parent of the year because, and you get a plaque? Should the kids send out for some sort of you know, wall-hanging device? Look, if you're father of the year. You stopped beating your kids 50%. You cut beating the kids by 50%. Well, you should have 0% beating the kids, I would think. Unless they talk back and then, you know, smack them upside the head. No, no, no. But you get the idea. They want to frame it in a way that is most beneficial to them. By they, I mean the Democrats. And it doesn't matter whether it's the White House or whether it's CNBC. That's the framing. You know, egg prices are up 10% over November. Okay, egg prices are up 10%. That's, that's pretty bad. But don't worry. It was much worse last year. Well, we don't live last year. That it sucked last year is little comfort when somebody says, oh, it sucks less now. The problem is that it sucks, right? Address the problem that it sucks. And then we can talk. But it's, well, it's much worse. Yeah, don't worry about it. We're, we're going to punch you in the gut every time we see it. But now we're going to only punch you in the gut randomly when we come across every once in a while. Every once in a while, when we're walking behind you down the flight of stairs, only every third time we're going to maybe shove you down. Don't worry. It's all good. They do the same thing with energy. Energy posted a 0.4% gain after sliding 2.3% in November. Gasoline rose 0.2%, but natural gas declined 0.4%. Okay, so gasoline went up, but natural gas went down. Well, a lot of people do heat their houses with natural gas, but everybody except for maybe 
Elon Musk uses gasoline at some point. That's a much bigger problem. That's like saying, well, gas prices are up, but the price of petroleum jelly, of petroleum-based price, is significantly lower. Well, that's great. You've made a huge dent in the chapped lips industry, but uh, nobody goes, I'm freezing to death or I need to get to work. Hand me the tub of Vaseline, unless you live downhill from where you work and you really like nudity or bring a change of clothes with you. That's beside the point. It's how these people frame these things that matter. If you weed through all of this stuff, you begin to see that there is a picture being painted that is not, not a particularly healthy economy. It's not awful. Hasn't collapsed. We're not in recession. But in the things that matter, your ability to take care of your family, these numbers are not good. And this administration has no answer while they're running around telling you that inflation is going away. See, it would be inflation rose. Inflation is huge. Inflation is still here. And they're like, well, no, it's just higher than expected. Don't worry. It's just a little bit higher than expected. Well, keep this in mind in a long chain of things that this administration and the administration with the press credentials have told you over the past three years. They first told you that there was no what inflation. What inflation? What are you talking about? Inflation. Then they couldn't deny inflation. They said, well, don't worry. Yes, there is a little bit of inflation, but it's transitory. It has to do with um, supply chain issues and it has to do with uh, Putin. Putin pretending or getting ready or saber rattling about Ukraine. It's transitory. Don't worry, it'll stop. Even though inflation started rising and gas prices started rising a full year before Putin even amassed troops on the border of Ukraine. That's beside the point. Never let the facts stand in the way of a good story. It's a Democrat's mantra, and it works for them. Then it was, okay, inflation is real, but now it's coming down. It's under control. Don't worry, it's going away. Wow, we, we licked inflation. Well, now we're discovering that we haven't licked inflation. What are they going to come up with next? I don't know how you polish this turd. I imagine they're just going to tell you what they've been telling you, and it seems to be the Biden campaign's Bumper sticker is you don't know how good you've got it. It's a hell of an argument to make. I'm not sure how you're going to convince somebody who just stopped in to pick up something for the family at the uh, the Safeway. Tell them that uh, they don't know how good they've got it when they went in and came out 80 bucks lighter in their wallet and they don't know what the hell. How did that happen? I just bought something for dinner and for breakfast and now 80 bucks. But don't worry, that sweater you want to buy. It's only up slightly compared to last year. God, you control the unit of measure, you control everything, and you control the media, and you can control how people learn about how the unit of measure is manipulated. Don't fall for it, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to what they say and then find out what they don't want you to know. Draw your own conclusions. Just to give the numbers a little in the story, just a little bit more contrast. I just saw this, the Daily Caller. This, I read you the CNBC version of the story. Here's the Daily Caller's version. Now, granted, Daily Caller's conservative. I was the first employee ever at the Daily Caller. Tucker and Neil hired me, hell, a year before there was even a website, maybe even a little bit more. Uh, but uh, the headline there at the Daily Caller, inflation soars as high prices continue to squeeze Americans. It's true. It's a little bit 
you know, more on the nose and a little more blunt than the CNBC thinks that inflation rose year over year in December, even as the Federal Reserve projects interest rate cuts by the end of the year, according to the latest Bureau of Labor Statistics release on Tuesday. Consumer price index, blah, 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 rose. It is um, much more realistic. They point out that they do not count food in these things. Core CPI, which excludes the volatile categories of energy and food, remained high, rising 3.9% year-over-year in October compared to 4% in November. Kind of love that, the way that they do label that. That is, It's kind of a, a state label, volatile. That was the justification, by the way, as to why they don't include food and energy in those things. It's too volatile. It's kind of, I don't care how volatile it is. It's important. Yes, some sort of disease or uh, can wipe out various uh, animals or, you know, when there's a bird flu outlet, it can cause an increase in the, the price of eggs. I get it. Or chicken breast. Or if it's a, there's a frost in Florida, it can mess with the cost of orange juice. Those are everybody's seen trading places by now. If you haven't, you really should. But uh, that is... It doesn't matter that it's volatile because you have to deal with it, right? The consumer price index, the rate of inflation, should be an accurate measure of what we have to deal with. If suddenly on the eastern shore of Maryland there's an outbreak of bird flu and the cost of chicken and the cost of eggs doubles and it only lasts six months, it happened, it's real, it's causing something to cost more, it's causing a staple of life to cost more, and therefore leaving Americans with less money in their pockets, that's something that should be calculated into this. But it is also impacted by government policy. And quickly, it is the canary in the coal mine in a lot of cases of government policy. And they don't like having their actions accurately measured. They don't like... They don't appreciate as much as I would say they should having their actions get the sunlight that they deserve. They can't defend everything. People are are mad. People can be mad about the grocery store. And they are, and they should be. People can be mad about gas prices, and they are, and they should be. But you hear the president of the United States to the historic Jean Pierre to pretty much everybody on MSNBC, and inflation is uh, edging down. It's edging down. Why does it cost more for these? Well, it doesn't matter. They don't tell you they don't count these things. They don't tell you why they don't count these things. They just don't count. If they told you why they don't count these things, you'd sit there and you'd go, that doesn't make any sense. The real reason is that it would make them look bad if you counted these things. So there you go. That's the world that we live in. That's And again, this is... Uh, this is why I tell you every once in a while, it's watch CNN, flip over to CNN, flip over to MSNBC. If you watch those outlets, flip over to Fox. Just take a look at the other world that we live in. There is uh, the, what is it, the Upside Down or whatever. I, I used to watch that. Uh, I watched the first season of Stranger Things. I thought it was great. And then I think I, I, think I choked down the second season. I thought, eh, all right. And then I just completely forgot about the show. 
But it's a good analogy. The upside down. The uh, bizarro world might be a... Although I don't know if anybody under 40 knows what the hell the bizarro world is. You learned that from... The last time it was relevant was from Seinfeld. But you get the point. They're two different worldviews. Watch a Rachel Maddow monologue and you'll sit there and you go, but you didn't mention this. That's not what that said. Well, what about that? You'll sit there and you go, she's leaving out 90% of the story. She's cherry. Yes, of course she is. Of course she is. When the truth isn't on your side, you, you don't use it. <laughs> you don't use it. That's how our government calculates everything. It's not just Democrats. It's Democrats right now, and it happens to be Democrats most of the time when there's massive spikes in inflation and wild incompetence in the managing of our economy. But it's not exclusively them. Republican presidents could have restored the way things were calculated. They didn't do it. Why? Because they don't want to hassle with it. They don't want to have to deal with it. It's much easier to simply not have to address a problem and pretend it doesn't exist. It's one of the early causes of leading causes of early death is people just sit there and ignore problems and go, oh, you know, it'll work itself out. It doesn't work itself out. For your health, it can work itself out. For the economy, it can work itself out for food prices. The pandemics in the animal kingdom go away. But it doesn't mean they didn't happen. Realistically, I, if I'm a politician, I want these things to be calculated in real-time basis on the things that people care about because things will go up. And Oh, inflation is here. Food is costing more. But food is very volatile, as they say. Things change. Circumstances change. Farmers have been doing this for a very long time. They understand how to segregate the animals that are sick or whatever and uh, bring back the population that isn't sick. So then the prices go down. Then you, you sit there and you go, well, the prices are up, but now the prices are down. Congratulate me, everybody. Love me. I would think that'd be a natural thing to do. They love to take credit for gas prices when they go down. And then when gas prices go up, they all sit around and go, we can have we have very little control over the price of gas. We don't you can, don't blame me. I can't control. I have nothing to do with the price of gas. Gas is down. You're welcome, America. Congratulations, everybody. Line up, pucker up and kiss my butt. You can't have it both. Well, that's not true. They do have it both ways and they can have it both ways. As, as long as we keep voting the way we're voting and voting in the people we vote in. They can have it both ways, so why the hell would they bother with the truth? I don't know what I was thinking. I, I take it all back. Okay, let's, uh, let's move on. You know, I'm, I'm, God, these things, I don't know who's surprised by these at this point. And we'll get this. It ties in nicely to the uh, debate, town hall and everything. Fauci is still a political football. He's still a media darling. I don't get how this guy's still a media darling. I don't know who on earth is like, yes, this guy. He is the arbiter of truth. But uh, <clears throat> the Republicans are trying to hang Fauci around each other's neck. It's funny watching Donald Trump try to hang Fauci around Ron DeSantis's neck. Like, uh, you're the one who, who, who let him take over your administration. You're the one who uh, didn't. You're the only one who could have fired. No governor in the country could have fired President Fauci. Only the president of the United only Donald Trump could have. And you didn't. You didn't, well, I couldn't fire him. You could have marginalized him. You didn't have to have daily press conferences with him as the face of the administration. 
But anyway, he was up on Capitol Hill. The New York Post has this story. Fauci was up on Capitol Hill. They write, Dr. Anthony Fauci confesses to law, confessed to lawmakers Tuesday that guidelines to keep six feet of separation, ostensibly to limit the spread of COVID-19, quote, sort of just appeared, end quote, without scientific input. They just made it up. They pulled it out of their rear ends. Swear to God. True story. Fauci, 83, revealed to the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic that the six feet apart recommendation championed by him and other U.S. public health officials was, quote, likely not based on scientific data, end quote, according to Chairman Brad Wenstrom, Republican of Ohio, who is also a physician. I looked for this. When I saw this, I was like, there's got to be audio of this. This is one of those television, this is one of those hearings that is not publicly available, at least not yet. So there doesn't seem to be any of this audio yet. If Republicans were smart, they'd put this out there because, of course, Democrats are still lining up to kids. Republicans are saying, Fauci's you. No, Fauci's you. And Democrats are going, Fauci's me. Fauci's me. This is the same guy who said, don't wear a mask. You don't need to wear a mask. And then said, don't leave your house without a mask. In your house, wear a mask. Don't have anybody. A mask, mask, mask. And then uh, when all the studies that are actually peer-reviewed come out and said, mask doesn't do anything. Man, it's too small. Unless you have a hermetically sealed, vacuum-tight N95 mask on, put on properly, you're not going to, it's not going to make a bit of a difference. And you got these people putting like Kleenexes behind their ears going, that's my mask. And that's fine. Just put something over your face. They all knew it didn't work. They didn't care. It's almost like these people, the power went to their head and they just decided to see what they could get away with. They're like, let's, let's play Simon Says with the whole country. Let's play Simon Says with everything. Let's see how far we can go. They were like two weeks away from Everybody go to work with no pants on. Let's do that. Sadly, there'd be a whole bunch of people, mostly on the left, who would go, yeah, all right, well, no pants. Fauci says no Fauci says that the best way to fight COVID is to wash your hands, wear a mask, and not put any pants on. Well, fair enough. The man knows. He's a hero. They invented awards to give him awards. Quote, It never struck me that six feet was particularly sensical in the context of mitigation. Dr. Aisha Jha, the dean of Brown University's School of Public Health, who served as President Biden's COVID response coordinator for 15 months, told the New York Times in March 2021. This has been around a long time, but it didn't matter. If it hadn't come from Fauci's mouth, it might as well have not happened. Quote, I wish the CDC would come out and say this is not a major issue. Now, I remember that. Remember the circles? Remember Joe, Joe Biden's campaign? It was the most pathetic, sad, dystopian world I've ever seen in my life, where you got this senile guy that they trotted out from his basement into a school gymnasium or something. And on the floor of the gym, there are these circles that are six feet apart. And in the middle of the circle, there's one chair. And this is how they call it. This is a town hall. One chair. And they get maybe 12 people in a gymnasium. They'd all be sitting in their little circle, 
in one chair. And these people thought, oh, as long as I'm in my circle, I'm safe. Like You're not John Travolta. You're not the boy in the plastic bubble. Do you not understand how this thing works? Still cracks me up. You go to certain stores today. Do you see the, they have the, the plexiglass up? I get a kick out of it. The plexiglass that's hanging from the ceiling or up from the counter. And it's, you know, right to your face. But it's not super wide. It's not hermetically sealed. There's no HEPA filter separating you from them. There's no fresh air being pumped. It's nothing. It's just a, a spittoon. It's a salad bar spit guard sitting over the cashier. And you're like, okay, you obviously have no idea how air works. You have no idea. Have water works. Nothing. Think if you, if you don't know. Just imagine, you can do this, do it in a bathtub. Don't do it in a pool because you'll wreck the whole pool. Get a, a piece of anything. Get a plate. Doesn't have to be clear. Fill up a bathtub. Put a plate in there separating one part from another. Not the whole thing. You don't have a huge plate or whatever, or a really small bathtub. And get some food coloring, liquid food coloring. Pour it on one side of the plate. That is the person with covid exhaling. Watch what happens to that red dye. It does not stay on one side of the plate. Now, it might if the bath water is perfectly still, in which case you have created a circumstance that does not exist in nature because air is constantly moving. But swish the water around just a little bit, even on just one side of the plate. Watch what happens. It goes everywhere. The molecules that we exhale go everywhere. I, uh, who the hell was it? It was somebody. I have some nerdy friends. But they were telling me, you know, like, what do you, what do you think the odds that you have breathed in one molecule of air that was in Julius Caesar's last breath? I can't even think about it. I don't know. One molecule of air. And they walked through it. It said pretty much every, every breath you take there's a really good chance that there's one molecule of air. It had to do with the unit of measure that is a mole. And if I, I can probably only remember half of it or whatever, but there's a lot of, a uh, lot of molecules in every single breath, including Julius Caesar's last. And that air hadn't gone away. Every molecule that was in his last breath in his lungs is still floating around today, just like water. You always talk about, we got a water shortage, a water shortage. We've run through the water. I dated a girl who worked for a place that uh, had a watershed interest group. She told me a very disturbing fact that I will share with you now that has haunted me when I think about it on occasion. That every glass of water you drink has already passed through at least seven people. Every glass of water. we got a lot of water on the planet. And you're like, ew, gross. Yeah, well, it makes sense. Water doesn't actually go away. These things don't actually go away. Just just a little bit of science for you. But no, Tony Fauci's out there going, eh, it didn't make any sense. Then why did you insist on it? The six-foot distance was a part of the Centers for Disease Control's official COVID guidelines for reopening the government, reopening the economy. That was presented and fronted by Tony Fauci. He could have demanded that everybody put uh, 
a raw steak on their heads, and then, and uh, there would people would not have questioned it. Why didn't he question things that he now says didn't make any sense? Hmm? New York Post, the top White House advisor for two presidential administrations. He was around a lot longer than that. He's the only guy who's ever failed. Well, he's not the only guy, but he, he's probably the greatest case of failing your way to prominence. He first came to prominence in the 80s. Doing what? Developing an AIDS vaccine. Yeah, it, what? We, there is no AIDS vaccine? Oh, yeah, there is no AIDS vaccine. So the thing that he was known for before he was known for COVID he was, was a failure. He failed. What's weird is he argued against the treatments. He argued against mitigation. He argued against um, medicines and things making AIDS, not a lifestyle, but making AIDS manageable. He argued against it. He was all about vaccines. He makes money off of vaccines. People who develop certain aspects of vaccines, you get royalty checks. That was what all the stuff about royalty checks was. There's no money in it for him for a drug treatment. He is a vaccine guy. So he kept on insisting we need vaccine for AIDS, vaccine for AIDS. People kept dying of AIDS. Eventually, the private sector came up with a treatment for AIDS that now makes it an inconvenience, not a death sentence, which is good, a good thing. But that was Fauci. That was what he was known for. And then why do you, what do you know? The vaccine guy says we need a vaccine. Oh, the vaccine guy says we got a vaccine. Vaccine guy says you need to basically walk around with a constant drip of this vaccine. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That's not the definition of a vaccine. People are still getting sick with the vaccine. People are getting sick from the vaccine. And this guy is so powerful still that even to point that out will get you accused of a hate crime. Anyway, Fauci's transcribed interview before the House COVID panel, quote, revealed systemic failures in our public health system and shed light on serious procedural concerns with our public health authority, according to the congressman, Wenstrup. Those failures included foisting vaccination mandates on schools and businesses. Quote, after two days of testimony and 14 hours of questioning, many things became evident. During his interview today, Dr. Fauci claimed that the policies and mandates he promoted may unfortunately increase vaccine hesitancy for years to come. It is clear that dissenting opinions are often not considered or suppressed completely. Should a failure or should a future pandemic arise, America's response must be guided by scientific facts and conclusive data. End quote, Congressman Westrop. Yes, well, this is the problem. You didn't hear this. You won't see this on, oh, you might see this on Fox. It's reported in the New York Post, so it's owned by the same company as Fox. But you won't see this on the nightly news, the nightly news broadcasts. Is it the well, Fox? Fox is the biggest name in cable. It is the biggest name in cable news. Congratulations. You're the biggest name in cable news. You reach 1% of the population. On a good night, 3 million people will watch Fox. On a good night, it's usually around 2, 2-ish. The nightly newscasts, the three major networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC, reach 20 million people with their nightly news broadcasts combined. 20 million versus 3 million in your top show. Three million in your time. And I think most of those people are asleep with the TV on. Who do you think has the more influence? Which one do you think has the greater impact? That's why you sit there. And this is why I bring these things up. Every little tiny bit 
helps. Every person who is reached helps. It matters. Fauci is still living large and rent-free in a lot of people's heads, and a lot of people are pissed off at Fauci, and they should be. A lot of lives were ruined by Fauci. People died without being able to see their families or say goodbye to their families or they were forced to do so through strung up garbage bags or something like that, one at a time in an, in an ICU. And you're like, what the hell? Now they're saying maybe that wasn't the best thing. All of this stuff, maybe that wasn't the best thing. Maybe, maybe this, maybe that, maybe the other thing. There was no qualifier when these people were talking at the time. There was no, hey, this could, might, maybe be. No, it was straight up, this is the way to go. To do anything short of this will get you killed. We'll get people killed. It is a monstrous thing. You need to do this. Wear a mask. Stay six feet away from people. How many times have you seen footage of somebody visiting a dying relative standing outside their house, putting their hand on the window? As the person on the inside puts their hand on the window. That wasn't them. That was Fauci. Some people obeyed. Others of us disobeyed. But some people obeyed. Those people were robbed by this guy who was the highest paid person in our government and who is now retired, getting a pension, who's got a seven-figure book deal, who will... I mean, he's 80, what, 83, was it? Yeah, he's 83. So not going to be around to enjoy the fruits of his labor that much, but he made a fortune while he was in our government. He's got a nice house in Bethesda. Even a bad house in Bethesda cost a lot of money. So, yeah, you can see why Fauci, still the existence of him, the mention of him, pisses people off, and it should. You can see why the candidates are trying to use him against each other. So Tony Fauci is, as we've well established, Dr. Fauci, the Reverend Dr. Fauci, the most holy name, hallowed be his name, is a horrible person. It's a horrible person. Spoke unqualified, spoke unequivocally without qualifiers about things that he knew he didn't know. All right. Maybe he didn't know he was lying, but he at least knew that he didn't know he was absolutely telling the truth. And he did so for years. Now he's only under oath. Only after, you know, I imagine there's been enough time to go through the records and look up the truth and look up the facts and go, hey, wait a second, this doesn't jive. Now that he realizes that he could give, if he gave what he used to say, He'd face charges of perjury, maybe not under this administration. They're, they're probably looking into getting rid of Teddy Roosevelt on Mount Rushmore and replacing it with Fauci. You can get rid of the facial hair, get rid of the glasses, well, put in different glasses, and you'll be fine. You're almost there already, so why not do that? But he's still a political football. Expect him to be a factor in the race, no matter what, no matter who it is, the Republicans nominate. The Democrats worship at the altar of Tony Fauci. That's what they do. Oh, Tony Fauci. So Joe Biden doesn't have much else to say when it comes to his horrible handling of COVID and all the unnecessary trillions in spending that he initiated. So he'll just go, COVID, 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 COVID. 
COVID, COVID. Fauci, we did Fauci, which Fauci told us. Dr. Fauci, my God, the Reverend Dr. Fauci. How dare you even question him? Say three hail Fauci's and uh, do the stations of Dr. Burks and uh, call me in the morning. Well, that's what they're going to say because that's all they have. But before we get to that point, we have to get a nominee. We have one nominee. I'm going to piss everybody off by telling the truth, but that's just the way it is. All the Trump fans out there, Donald Trump did not fire Tony Fauci. Now, he insists he couldn't fire Tony Fauci. I would have tested that theory. But even if he couldn't fire Fauci, he didn't have to have him at the White House. He could have marginalized Fauci. He could have said, you know what? The guy's wrong. I'm not putting him out there at the White House podium every single day for these COVID briefings. Just not going to do it. He could have. He didn't. Now, the press would have gone absolutely haywire. They worshipped Fauci more than Democrats. Well, they, that's repetitive. But uh, you get the idea. There was a hell of a case to be made against Fauci. It's just that nobody in that administration was making it. That being said, certain states did not follow Fauci the way that the White House did. One of those states was Florida, one of the first states. I don't know that Ron DeSantis was the first one. There are some states, South Dakota insists they never shut down, and then somebody says, well, look, they shut down, whatever it is. Everybody did some degree. At the beginning of COVID, you got to remember, everybody's like, oh, my God, this is horrible. People, could, people are dying everywhere. Everything was COVID. People were terrified of getting sick because nobody knew what the, the, what would happen, how they would respond to it. So they did follow certain mitigations. You've got the so-called experts telling you to do things. You go, all right, well, we'll try it. What the hell? The last thing I want is a whole bunch of people to die. But at a certain point, you people started to pull back. And one of the first people to pull back was Governor DeSantis. Florida, people were moving to Florida. It's called the free state of Florida, mockingly, because of COVID. It was never referred to as the free state of Florida under Jeb Bush or Charlie Crist. Never heard it referred to as the free state of Florida before COVID. People were moving there because you could go outside. People understood that COVID, well, you don't want to get it, especially the early versions of it. One thing most viruses don't like most airborne viruses, I should say. Most airborne viruses don't like is sunlight, heat. In Florida, the nation's uvula down there dangling off the throat of the continent, is one thing they have a lot of is heat, a lot of sunlight. So people being able to go outside was a good thing. The sun, that big ball of fire in the sky, also gives you vitamin D. Vitamin D is good for your immune system. That also helped. Florida reopened long before anybody else. And then while the rest of us here in Maryland are opening up, yeah, you can, you can open your restaurant up, but you can only come in at 25% capacity. And every person has to be triple laminated and double masked. Not that way in Florida. That's just the reality of it. Now, the further we get away from that, the fuzzier memories get, and especially people who don't live in Florida or didn't visit Florida or didn't have family in Florida, they can uh, easily be manipulated. And that's kind of what the former president of the United States is doing here. 
at his town hall last night on Fox, he tried to tie Ron DeSantis to President Fauci. Now, that's absurd. Ron DeSantis never reported to Fauci. Fauci never reported to Ron DeSantis. Donald Trump deferred to Fauci. Fauci reported to Donald Trump. Fauci served at the pleasure of Donald Trump. Remember, he wasn't even fired or demoted or moved or anything all the way through the end. He held the same position in the Biden administration that he did in the Trump administration. There was no difference in Fauci policy between Biden and Trump. And all of them, including Donald Trump at various times early on when Florida was reopening, we're all pissed at Ron DeSantis. We're all complaining about what Florida was doing. So with that in mind, listen to Donald Trump talk about DeSantis and Fauci. And of course, Ron DeSantis would, would definitely argue with your uh, characterization of how he handled it. But if you go back and look at the records, you will see that the biggest fan of Dr. Fauci was Ron DeSanctimonious. He was a big fan. He said, I go by exactly, quote, I go by what Dr. Fauci said. He said that two months in, all the way through, and then eventually changed when it wasn't, you know, that wasn't the dessert of the day. But Ron DeSantis was a big Dr. Fauci fan, and nobody wants to cover that. I say it every time. Nobody wants to cover it. He was the biggest fan. He followed him all the way through. And then he says, uh, uh, you know, oh, two months in. Well, no, COVID went on for a very long time. Florida slowed down, never fully closed down, and then fully reopened after about a month. Schools were back. They didn't even mandate that schools close. I want to play for you. Like I'm, you can be mad all your, you hate Donald Trump. No, if you think I'm being rough on Donald Trump, what do you think Democrats are going to do to Donald Trump? What do you think they're going to, you think they're going to be nice? You think they're going to play for once in their lives? They're going to go, you know what? Marcus Queensberry rules everything above, everything above the belt. Let's not, uh, let's not bite. No kicking, nothing. Uh, no, they're in it to win it. Trump's in it to win it. It's just, you know, there are better ways to win it than making stuff up. So, so this has been circulating online again. This is a literal, honest Trump 2020 web campaign ad. This is the banner of text, whatever, 78, Trump to 787878 or whatever the hell the number. I don't, don't text it. I don't know. You can find out the number if you want to text it. But um, this is literally a campaign. It's one minute, eight seconds long. It is only Tony Fauci praising Donald Trump for doing exactly what Fauci told him to do. This was a campaign. This was put out by the Trump war room. This is what they were trying to sell it because Democrats were saying, we'll follow Fauci, we'll follow Fauci. And the Trump campaign was like, well, we've done nothing but follow Fauci. Great. It's a little bit different tune than the president was uh, singing last night. The president has listened to what I have said and what the other people on the task force have said the first and only time that i went in and said we should do mitigation strongly the response was yes we'll do it when he suggests why don't we do this 
And I say, no, that's really not a good idea from a scientific standpoint. He has never overruled me. The travel was another recommendation. When we went in and said, we probably should be doing that. And the answer was yes. When I've made recommendations, he's taken them. And then another time was we should do it with Europe. And the answer was yes. He's never counted or overridden me. And the next time we should do it with the UK. And the answer was yes. I never, in the multiple times that I've done that, where I said, for scientific reasons, we really should do this, that he hasn't said, let's do it. The first and only time that Dr. Birx and I went in and formally made a recommendation to the president to actually have a, quote, shutdown. The president listened to the recommendation and went to the mitigation. That is a 2020 web ad by the Trump campaign of them cutting together clips of Fauci praising President Trump for doing pretty much everything he instructed him to do. He advised and instructed, it's probably the wrong word, advised him to do. And now Donald Trump is going, nobody loved, nobody loved Fauci more than the guy who defied him constantly. You always hurt the ones you love. I guess maybe, you know, in a humorous way, you could kind of say that you always hurt hurt the, the ones you love. But this is, if Donald Trump ends up being the nominee, he's going to have to answer to these things. The Democrats are going to use this against him. They're not going to say, see, he he secretly loves Fauci because Democrats, that Fauci tells them to jump, they'll still say how high. It'll be used as you can't trust Donald Trump. You need to have a response. You have to have some kind of response to this, don't you? There doesn't seem to be one. Of course, Brett Baer and Martha McCallum last night in the town hall didn't bother to point out, you know, you 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 kind of deferred to Fauci on on everything, literally everything. And he goes, no, I didn't shut anything down. Yeah, you did. You did 15 days to to, to slow the spread was not something that was made up in Idaho. It was not something that came from California. It didn't come from Florida. It came from Washington, D.C. It won't matter much to the people who are dedicated to Donald Trump. They don't care or they forgot or whatever. They'll believe whatever he says. But the rest of the country, the people in the middle who are still pissed off, the people who lost loved ones, the people who lost time with family, even if they didn't lose loved ones, they lost time with family. Those people are still pretty pissed off. They're right to be pissed off. Without some kind of response, Democrats, trust me, they are good. The media on their side, they will find a way to make Donald Trump go, oh, you know, you hate Fauci. Great. And they'll spin that as a negative and they'll still blame them. Why'd you follow him? How many people died? It's like homelessness doesn't really register as a news story very often. Not the way when a Democrat is president. It's it happens. Sometimes you can't ignore the tent cities. But if you go back, even back to the Reagan administration and every Republican administration since then, there was essentially somebody on the homeless person beat. There was a homelessness is a scourge. It's a problem. And they'd always find a young mother, young single mother with a couple of kids homeless, forced to live in her car. And first off, your first question should be, don't you have any family? Do you have no friends? You have nobody will take you in. I'm always suspicious they find these people who perfectly fit the narrative. 
But I have no doubt in a nation this large that they'll exist. There's some people who go, well, I suppose I could drive 20 minutes to Pacoima and stay with my mom, but, or, you know, whatever. They just don't do it. They find people or they're not telling the whole truth, whatever the story is. But they'll find them when there's a Republican president and talk about how bad the homeless problem is. And then you have, right now you have tent cities all over the place, huge tent cities, and you've got illegal aliens by the busload. They're actually evicting Americans. They're evicting veterans from homeless shelters in this country to make room for the sweet, sweet, sweet nourishing migrants. And nobody, nobody's making a big deal out of that. Yeah, the story up in New York is bad. The school, oh, they're shutting down the schools. This is wrong. This is that. And have you heard about it since you first heard about it? Has there been a lot of follow-up with that? No, there hasn't been a lot of follow-up. There's a news story in conservative media today about how the distance learning is actually not mandated. It's voluntary. The school put out this. Attention, tomorrow, Wednesday, January 10, 2020, all classes will be remote. Please log into your teacher's Google Classrooms for your required assignments. The completion of your assignments will dictate your attendance for the day. Teachers will be available via Zoom if requested prior to by email. So they're not actually doing virtual learning. They're assigning homework via message board and via email. The teacher isn't going to be there. Teachers will be available by Zoom if requested prior by email. Otherwise, they're sleeping in, grabbing the bonbons and watching The View. Screw you guys. They all turn into Eric Cartman. Screw you guys. I'm going home. I'd say it's bizarre. I'd say it's out of character, but it's not. It's not surprising in the least. It's just how things work these days. The media does. They, they rediscover homelessness every time there's a Republican president. And then they can't talk about the root causes of homelessness when there's a Democratic president. They don't even acknowledge that it exists. No problem whatsoever. The opioid crisis, they mention it because there's far too many people dying, but it is not getting the kind of coverage 70,000 deaths annually from overdoses deserves, warrants. Why? Because we got President Open Border in there. President sniffs a lot. Isn't that... They can't point that out. Oh, my God. All these people are dying. It's a horrible, horrible tragedy. Because then people will go, well, how are they getting these? Why are these drugs so readily available? Sure, yeah, drugs will always get into the country. But honestly, this much, this many, I'm pretty sure you know, they, yeah, there are some people going and getting arrested. But it, it, there are more drugs on the street now than ever before. You're never going to stop it. we got to deal with the demand and blah, 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 all the things that everybody always says. That's all fine and well and good and true. But being able to drive a semi-truck across an open border or ship in, you know, 15 migrants, each with giant backpacks filled with fentanyl, knowing that, you know, maybe seven, eight of them, maybe up to 10 of them are going to get arrested and go to jail, uh, but the rest will get in. You sit there and you go, well, if you're losing that much of your product, that much of your inventory, wouldn't you get screwed? Wouldn't you go broke? No. Fentanyl is very cheap to manufacture. Most drugs are very cheap to manufacture. They cost a fortune because of the risk and the fact that people are addicted to them. And they'll pay a lot more for something they're addicted to 
than something they just quite enjoy, right? They pay a lot more. And a little bit of fentanyl goes a long way. A little bit of fentanyl goes a long way, apparently. So you can make a ton of money if it costs you next to nothing. If you've got, you know, 99% margins and you're losing 50% of your inventory, you're still making a pretty penny on the end result. But there's a major disconnect. Nobody's, Republicans are talking about it. You know, the open border means more drugs. The media is ignoring it. They're pretending like somehow the USS Enterprise is in low orbit above the Earth and they're actually just beaming the drugs down here. Or the drugs are just manifesting themselves. Nobody knows where they're coming from. Nobody can figure it out. It's one of life's great mysteries. We'll never, that and the Kennedy assassination, we may never know how these things work out. God help us. There were other moments in the debate last night and the town hall last night that I thought were, were good or telling or what have you. One of the things that do I, do I, do I tell you, Nikki Haley annoys the hell out of me <laughs> as, a, as a debater. It's probably going to sound horribly, wildly sexist or whatever. But she just kept interrupting Ron DeSantis. GunnerDeSantisLies.com. Why do you need to keep sending people to a website? Can't, when Ron DeSantis is lying about my record. Go to this website and look at it. Don't you know your own record? Can't you defend your own record right now? Go to this website. Go to this website. Okay, we get it. We get it. But can you maybe, I don't know, talk? She didn't answer a lot of uh, questions yesterday. She tossed a lot of word salads. She straight up tossed a lot of word salads and then accused Ron DeSantis of lying every time she started talking. He's lying about me. I won't say how he's lying about me, but I never said that. The DeSantis campaign, by the way, put out a long um, best of of Nikki Haley saying she never said that. I never said anything about that. And then there's video of her saying just that. Just... It's just easy. This day and age, I mean, thank God. It's probably always been this way. Politicians have always just been full of it. I mean, you always kind of suspected that politicians were full of it, but maybe not to this extent. But in the day and age of where everything is on camera, they're all kind of caught. They're all kind of, you can string together Joe Biden 15 ways from Sunday talking about, I never, never discussed any business. With my son. Never, 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 never. And then you find out that he, he's talking to him all the damn time. But, of course, there's nobody around that will call him out on that except for Peter Ducey. But uh, the rest of the politicians, now they can't escape the camera phone. It's good, in a way, to see behind the curtain. It'd be better if seeing behind the curtain caused a whole bunch of people to go, well, then I'm going to stop these hypocrites, these frauds, these liars, whatever. I'm just going to stop looking to government for the solution. I'm going to look internally for the solution. It'd be so much better then. Way better. But we're not there yet. But Nikki Haley's one of these people. Joe Biden is one of these people. Donald Trump is one of these people. Ron DeSantis is one of these people. You can find them contradicting themselves. Now, the quantity or the uh, substance are different things. 
you know, everybody tells you something. Everybody will blow smoke up your rear end. And quite frankly, somebody who's been in politics for a while, they're going to change their mind. And I want somebody who changes their mind as long as it's based on something and they can articulate it and they don't try to. I've never felt that way. I never said that thing. And then, well, here you go. Here's, here's your campaign ad from four years ago saying those things. That's the problem. The American public are not an unforgiving lot. If politicians change their mind for a good reason and not because of donors, and they explain it, you know what, I thought this way, and then I found somebody that I knew went through this, or I've learned firsthand this is different, or this, well, there was a new study that came out that showed something different, and it made sense to me. That, if a politician said that, it would be so refreshing. I always thought that I'd love it if a politician talked like a normal person did that the American public would eat that up. Donald Trump in 2016 proved that to a certain extent. Now, granted, he lost the popular vote, but he won the presidency. And people, I thought it would appeal to more people. It appealed to a large swath of people very, very much, and it turned off a whole bunch of people. I don't know, people, I suppose there's a group of Americans who, well, a lot of them are Democrats. They just simply don't like anybody who isn't a Democrat. But there's a large group of people who simply want to sort of be talked down to. They want to be looked at and spoken to as though they're children. Uh, That's, I suppose, fine. There's a little bit of weird comfort in that, maybe. But I didn't know that there'd be this many people who just were so wildly... And what's weird is the people who are the most upset, the pearl-clutching class, the never-Trumpers and the, the Democrat real hack people are like he's upsetting the norms he's upset the norms don't you see that i can't even watch a cheers rerun they yell out norm and i'm like it just reminds me of the norms that he's upset and like you 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 impeached him twice over bogus crap you lied constantly about russia everything about him you call him hitler all these things those are not norms that donald trump upset now yes he certainly did not go by the former business model of my good friend this. As he, here you go, my good friend. Here's the knife you plunged into my back. You can have it. That's the way it used to be, especially for Republicans. He did not adhere to that norm. But as far as the extremist, that's just the left. That's it. Everybody and everything is Hitler now. Which, by the way, is a big part of the reason why James Hodgkinson tried to kill a whole bunch of Republicans. Like, Donald Trump and his violent rhetoric, these Republicans and their violent rhetoric, these mega Republicans and their violent rhetoric. Your guys' rhetoric literally caused somebody to try and kill... Now, only by the grace of the Capitol Police being there and him being a horrible shot was it that no Republicans were killed. They're not mad that James Hodgkinson existed. They're mad that James Hodgkinson wasn't a better shot. He was a big fan of Rachel Maddow, who took the tried to kill people because he believed what MSNBC had been telling them, what Democrats had been telling him, that Republican health care policy would kill, kill 10,000 people a year unnecessarily. It was a bogus study. It was a garbage study. It was a study designed to scare the hell out of people and make sure that Republicans were not able to repeal or replace Obamacare. They were happy to repeat that lie 
because it was useful, that it inspired. But if you believe that lie and you're mentally unstable, as James Hodgkinson was, because did I mention he was a fan of Rachel Maddow? But if you're mentally unstable and you believe that lie and you think 10,000 people are going to be dead, people are going to die, 10,000 of them. Don't you have a moral obligation if you're mentally unstable to act to prevent that? If you believe, literally, that any Republican candidate is Hitler or Hitler adjacent or embracing Hitler, Hitler Jr., don't you have a moral obligation to act? The mentally unstable, and we see the mentally unstable, my God, the, the voting base of the Democratic Party is gluing themselves to buildings and roads. <laughs> They're taken to the streets screaming about how we need to basically wipe Israel off the map. They're just this side of setting themselves on fire in a busy intersection and in protest of these sorts of things. You talk about a large pool of mentally unstable people. There are grown men in their 40s who are insisting they can identify not only as a woman, and therefore they are a woman, but as a teenage woman. It's a weirdo, some, I can't remember where, who was swimming with uh, young girls and showering with young girls. He's in his 30s. But he identified as a young girl. So not only did he identify as a woman, it was a girl, and it was a young girl. We're not that far away from being able to identify as a different race or different species. What's the argument against it at this point? If you can just simply declare yourself to be something, California, you can declare yourself to be anything. If you're a woman and put a man in a man's body, you declare yourself to be a woman, we'll put you in a women's prison because we're going to respect your rights. We're going to make sure that we're... Oh, wait, why are all these female prisoners getting pregnant? What, pray tell, is going on here? How is this? Is this a whole series of immaculate conceptions? It's nothing but women in this prison. No, there's not. <laughs> there are some people, when you're having to install urinals in the women's prison, I might be able to offer some insights as to where you might want to look for. You don't need Maury Povich to tell somebody whether or not they're the father. Through the process of elimination in about five seconds, I can figure that one out. Just say it. Just say it. Anyway, you're going to have to, there's, this, inter, this, uh, this campaign, there is a lot at stake. There is a lot at risk, too. The Democrats will tell you, democracy itself, democracy itself is on the ballot. Well, why? Are they going to try and make us into a democracy? God forbid. It should never be a democracy. We are a true democracy. You know how horrible this country would be? You know how quickly things would change? The whims and rights and laws and everything would change based on sentiments at the moment, whatever the latest outrage was, and whoever could manipulate the American public the best. Our system of government doesn't allow for quick action. It makes it very difficult for quick action. Look at what happens when you do quick action. It's a disaster. The Patriot Act. We must act. Shouldn't we act deliberately? Shouldn't we act properly? Shouldn't we act well? Shouldn't we make sure? Yeah, no, there's no, we must act. Okay, great. Biden's, you know, Inflation Reduction Act, which now he says, well, you know, he probably shouldn't have named it that. Yeah, because it didn't have anything to do with inflation. It was just printing trillions of dollars and distributing it to your friends. 
caused massive inflation, made inflation worse. They now sort of admit that. But they had to act quickly. Why? Because there was a pretty good chance they were going to lose at least one House of Congress in the, the 2022 elections, and they did. So they had to ram it through. They couldn't have hearings. No need to have hearings. We're all Democrats here. So people are going to have to really sort of belly up to the bar here and decide what kind of country they want going forward and what kind of leaders they want going forward. And the leaders, I don't care who the Republican nominee is. I'd even hold my breath and vote for Nikki Haley if she ended up being the Republican nominee, but I hope she won't be. And she, uh, they're going to have to answer for these sorts of things. They're going to have to have good answers for these sorts of things. And they're going to have to not only keep their base, but they're going to have to expand that base. That's wildly important. This is main source of my criticism for the Trump administration or for the former president is that he isn't doing anything to expand the base. Now, in this clip you're about to hear, it is the president seemingly trying to do something to expand the base and talk about abortion, but he runs risk of turning off people. You want to expand the base, not change the base, right? You can either take the pro-lifers or the, the pro-abortion people, and he seems to want to have his cake and eat it too. But if you go too far to the pro-abortion side, you run risk of losing the pro-life side. He's was asked about abortion. He's been very, you know, he, he is the one who appointed three Supreme Court justices. He is indirectly responsible or played a big role in the overturning of Roe v. Wade, which whatever you fall on abortion, I don't care. Um, it was horribly decided law. It was the government making up a right in the Constitution that did not exist there. And it agree, I agreed. It should have gone back to the states. You want to pass a law, federal law, or pass a constitutional amendment, fine. But you don't get to have the Supreme Court just declare something to be. Well, it went back to the states, and now some states are doing what the Constitution allows. Read the Ninth and Tenth Amendment, imposing various restrictions on abortion. Donald Trump think that that's a bad idea. It was a factor in why Republicans didn't do as well as they should have and lost in some places in the 2022 midterms. So politically, Donald Trump has a point. Politically, he does. Practically, it's a bit of a problem because you need the people you currently have on the issue. I don't think he's he's trying to walk that line here. You can decide for yourself how well he is because he's attacking Ron DeSantis for the heartbeat law at six weeks, which you can think of that what you will. You're either pro-life or you're not pro-life. Donald Trump was supposedly pro-life, so it's kind of a weird argument that he risks alienating pro-lifers. Anyway, here's the president last night talking about this. You can decide for yourself if you're cool with this. But he's doing very, very poorly. It happened to coincide with that because a lot of people say a lot of, you know, if you talk five or six weeks, a lot of women don't know if they're pregnant in five or six weeks. I want to get something where people are happy. You know, this has been tearing our, our country apart for 50 years. Nobody's been able to do anything. And again, you can only ask that question and you ask it 
brilliantly, and I understand exactly where you're coming from. I love where you're coming from. But we still have to win elections. And they've used this. Uh, you know, we have some great Republicans, and they're great on the issue. And you would love them on the issue. Uh, and a lot of them have just been decimated in the election. Decimated. I mean, absolutely. So uh, we're going to come up with something that people want and people like. Uh, I would love you to. First of all, you have to go with your heart. OK, you have to go with your heart first. Go with your heart, your mind. Go with it. But you do also have to put in there a little bit. You have to win elections. I get what he's trying to say. It's maybe not the most artful way of saying it. But the thing is, if you're really if it's the it doesn't matter whether or not you're pro-life. If it's not the issue you vote on. Everybody has one, two or three issues that are the issues they vote on. They care about everything, but they have the issues they vote on. Some people, it's just one issue. Some people, it's abortion. They don't care about the economic impact. They don't think there's a dime worth of difference on national security, whatever, whatever, whatever. They care about abortion. You need those people's votes. Donald Trump would be alienating those people. But I understand what he's trying to say is, look, you, you, if you are really pro-choice, six weeks is too soon if you're pro-choice. But you're not like up to the moment of the kid goes to college, you can have an abortion. Six weeks is too soon. If you're pro-life and six weeks is too late, it shouldn't exist at all. Fifteen weeks is probably where most people think if you can't make up your mind in four months, I mean, you've you got a problem. But <clears throat> that's beside the point. What he's doing there inartfully, although he's trying to do it artfully, is saying you can be pro-life, but you can't be so pro-life that you turn off the pro-choice voters because you need their votes too. I'm not sure in the Venn diagram of politics and in life that there's a lot of overlap in those two groups. On this one particular issue, the people who vote because they're pro-abortion will vote, doesn't matter, doesn't matter what compromise, there is no compromise. You should be able to abort up until the moment anybody you know wants it. And if you're committed pro-life, there is no, well, as long as you do it two weeks into it. No, it's just different. It'll be interesting to see how he skirts this going forward. But it's one of those issues where you can't, he ran last time as a very pro-life president. And now he's saying you got to kind of temper that. We'll see if it matters. I don't know. We'll see if anything matters. It hasn't so far. I wanted to talk about this for a moment, if you don't mind. Actually, I'm going to do it either, even if you do mind, but there you go. Because this should be a bigger scandal than it is. This should be a bigger scandal than it is. If you remember during the Trump administration, what did you hear about uh, Kellyanne Conway? Kellyanne Conway violated the Hatch Act. Kellyanne Conway, Everybody in the Trump administration had ethics complaints filed against some Democrats and left-wing groups were constantly complaining. They're violating the Hatch Act. The Hatch Act prevents the use of government money and federal property to be used for political purposes. I know, like the politics going on in government. But for campaign purposes, you can't have campaign events in the White House. Now, never even occurred to me that anybody would do this. It's obvious you don't do these sorts of things. You don't have a fundraiser in your congressional office. But um, 
But he can't even actually. I remember when I worked in the Senate in 2006, when my boss was running for re-election, we'd have to go from our office building. That the, the Dirksen was where it was in the Senate over to the Republican National Committee building or the uh, NRSC building to uh, take play take part in conference calls related to the campaign. We couldn't use our desk phones. We couldn't use our government-provided, Senate-provided Blackberries, back when Blackberries existed. I miss the Blackberry. You couldn't do any of that. You had to be, you couldn't even if you used your personal phone, you maybe could, but they didn't want you to even be in the building just because they didn't want anybody to complain of a hatch act violation, blah, 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 blah. Something could be overheard. So we had to go to a physical building where it was okay to do it. I also remember back in the late 90s, in the 96 election, Bill Clinton and Al Gore fundraising at the White House. They rented out for $50,000 to the Democratic Convention or Democratic National Committee and the various state committees you could give. You could violate, they found creative ways to violate the donation limits. For $50,000, you could get a, uh, I think it was, was $25,000 to be invited to a coffee with either the president or the vice president. Obviously, it would be more for the president. And it was 50000 maybe to spend the night in the Lincoln bedroom. They had turned, not only did Bill Clinton turn the, uh, the White House and the Oval Office into a brothel, they turned it into a Motel 6, too. I mean, they were thorough. you got to give them that. It was a clear violation, not only of the spirit of the law, but of the letter of the law. And as far as consequences went, they faced none. They faced none because that's just how it works. <laughs> Bill stood up and said, I'm a Democrat. You realize I'm a Democrat, right? Uh, so stop talking about it. And they did. They did. Just like they ignored the fact that they raised millions of dollars from communist China, that Al Gore went to a fundraiser at a Buddhist temple in California with Chinese nationals there. He raised $200,000 from a Buddhist temple at an event populated exclusively by Buddhist monks, Chinese Buddhist monks, who had expressly, as part of their religion, taken a vow of poverty. Somehow they were able to cobble together $200,000 for them. And Al Gore said, I, I had no idea. I didn't know. Yes, you did. Willful ignorance is corruption. I believe you that you're you know, ignorant of a lot of things, but... In that case, you're walking out with a suitcase full of cash from people who look like they haven't had a sandwich in a while. You might be a little suspect. You might be. I, I might not buy that. They violated the law left and right. And uh, there were no consequences for it. The only consequence was that uh, John Glenn had to run blocker for them. And in exchange for John Glenn, then senator from Ohio, pretending that nothing untoward here, then Bill Clinton signed a waiver that allowed him to become the oldest man shot in space and to fly on the space shuttle. Yeah. They had to change the law by executive order to get him up there as a reward for being a good dog and protecting the Democrats. A long-forgotten stain on our history, just like the stain on the blue dress. Bill Clinton was a pariah for a while. Now he's back to being a, good, a member in good standing of the Democratic Party. It's amazing. He survived corruption. He survived Credible rape charges, sexual assault, and just general womanizing. He survived me too. And he still looked at as, well, he's a.
Bill Clinton, he's our guy. He's a good guy. Gross. Anyway, Democrats, everything old is new again. Democrats find new and creative ways to either they get around things. Remember Barack Obama famously congratulated himself because he put a a lobbying ban in place. His administration was not going to meet with lobbyists. They were going to be above the fray. Noses pointed directly north into the air. Pinkies out with every sip of their tea. That's how classy they were. They were above the fray. No lobbyist shall set foot in the White House under Barack Obama. Those dastardly Republicans meet with them, not us. Not us. And what did they do? Well, there's a Starbucks and a McDonald's about a block away from the White House. The staff for the President of the United States who would have met with lobbyists in the White House used their personal email addresses so as to not be discoverable through Freedom of Information Act requests to set up meetings with those lobbyists at places like the Starbucks and the McDonald's. The meetings were happening. Business was conducted as usual. It was just conducted someplace else. Technically, Barack Obama didn't lie. His administration, there will be no lobbyists in the White House. He didn't, and they did get in. They did have meetings and what have you. But in general, there were a lot less, they say, because Barack Obama forbade it. But they still met with just as many, if not more, lobbyists. They just did it someplace else. You didn't realize that when Barack Obama made that promise, it was a real estate play. It was a... It was a geography gambit. It wasn't a principled stand. It was like, I will not, I will not cheat on my wife in Cleveland. But outside of Cleveland, it's game on. Or reverse. Everywhere, nowhere, everywhere but Cleveland. But in Cleveland, boy, howdy, look out. Well, now we come to this. Axios. They build it as a scoop. Now, this story was up yesterday. It should be a bigger story it's not. It should lead to deeper investigations. What they mean by scoop is somebody told them. Democrats are evil. They're not stupid. They leak this stuff out to outlets where they know it will be presented in the most innocuous way humanly possible. So that when more information comes out, when the real dirty details come out, they can say, we've already addressed that story. That's an old story. It's the Clinton playbook. It's an old story. Why? Yeah, but we didn't know about this. It's an old story. We've, we've said all we're going to say about it. Well, are you going to appoint somebody to investigate you? Are we going to appoint somebody to investigate? No, we're not going to appoint somebody to investigate. There's nothing there. The attorney general who lives and breathes and eats and sleeps and goose steps right along with the president of the United States will not be ordered to appoint a special counsel, and he will not even... Not even engage in a bowel movement without the president's approval. So, no, there will be no investigation. So what's the story? Scoop. Biden warned to stop bringing big donors to Oval Office. What? What? First of all, big donors. I thought it was Republicans who were the big money people. No. Republicans raise more money from small donors than Democrats do. Democrats raise more money from big donors, trial lawyers, unions, teachers unions, things like that. The story, President Biden was advised last year by White House Counsel's Office 
that giving big dollar donors tours of the Oval Office might raise legal issues, and he has since stopped the practice, according to people familiar with the matter. Oh, he's since stopped it. Stop murdering people. Okay, fine. You win. You win this round. He stopped murdering people. Well, he wasn't telling people he was murdering people before. How would we know? Uh, don't worry about it. Don't worry. He pinky swore to me that he would stop breaking the law. Therefore, we don't have to look into whether or not he's currently breaking the law. That pinky swear is legally bond. The man's a devout Catholic. So, of course, he's a super devout Catholic. Where is he right now? Is he at church? No, no, no. He's over at Planned Parenthood fundraising for them and, and uh, sitting on performing on a couple of abortions. But, you know, like the good devout Catholics do. Uh, Biden has been hosting donors, had been hosting donors, inside the White House residence for private meals and briefing to help energize them and convince them that he has a plan to beat former President Trump. He's using the residence. Now, a case could be made that it's the residence. It's a little bit different. But is he having these, he's having donors over for dinner. What's the difference between that? I don't know. Are they spending the night? What's the difference between that and having donors over to stay in the Lincoln bedroom? Is there a difference? I don't know. I don't believe there to be a difference, to be perfectly honest with you. If we had a press, this would leave, or if this were a Republican, this would undoubtedly lead to questions being asked. Inquiries being launched, congressional hearings would be going crazy. They, you'd imagine Nancy Pelosi firing off the subpoenas where she's still Speaker of the House, and this were Donald Trump. But this is Joe Biden. No question, it's just being reported as fact. When later we find out that, much like, because the, the Clinton people tried to pass this off. You probably don't remember this, you have lives. So why would you remember this? And it was barely reported. But the Clinton people originally said, well, these were people that uh, it's just a small group of people. The president is allowed to have people stay in the Lincoln bedroom. He can have people over to the house. It turns out he'd never met a lot of these people. In fact, the majority of these people, they just cut a check. Maybe they met at fundraisers, but it's not as though these were deeply connected friends that you'd have, say, or people that he wanted to suck up to. It was it wanted to suck up to for political purposes. Media celebrities are always spending the night at the White House or getting invited to the White House. These people were just people who wrote big checks. And then there were a lot of people, since it became known, who were writing the big checks expressly for the purpose of being able to stay in the Lincoln bedroom. And you begin to see the ethical violations there. Were those ethical violations at play here with the Biden administration? Ooh, would the Biden administration violate ethics? I believe their ethics advisor is Hunter Biden. So he was unavailable. He was in a brothel at the moment. So he was unable to uh, answer that. It says, uh, the donor outreach has caused some concern in the White House Counsel's Office, which has allowed the lunches and dinners to proceed with clear restrictions, including on where the meals can take place and who can attend. No, you can only have these meals up in your residence because it's your residence. Okay, great. Come on over to the residence 
for lunch for $50,000 or $100,000. And then afterwards, I'll take you downstairs and show you where I work. Even if they don't expressly say it. Wouldn't you ask? If you're one of these boneheads who are cutting, you know, five, six-figure checks to the president of the United States for his re-election and you're upstairs from the Oval Office, wouldn't you go, hey, you know what I'd really kill for is a tour of the Oval Office. I want to see the Bill and Monica room off the butler's pantry in the Oval Office. Do you really think the president's going to go, no, I'm not going to do that. That would be an ethical gray area. Biden has been known to show the office to many of his guests, but he decided to stop including an oval tour for donors early in the campaign after issues were raised by the council's office. The exclusive briefings and meals are expected to continue. Don't you love it? Ethical. As soon as you raised any ethical questions. Oh, that's suddenly a, a dealer in Vegas and shift change. But no, clap my hands. I got nothing up my sleeves. I'm backing away. This this could be the appearance, even the appearance of impropriety is something I can't possibly do. Now, forgive me for a second. My son is having a business meeting with some foreign nationals in Georgetown. I've got to go quickly show up there real quick because I don't like the appearance of impropriety, but I hate even more not getting my 10% for the big guy. In order to comply with ethics laws, the donors are not directly solicited for donations and events are required to take place in either the White House map room, the old family dining room, or the tennis pavilion on the grounds of the South Lawn. How's that? It's like a game of tag when you're a kid. These are cool. You can't, you're not, as long as you get to this thing, you're, you're cool. You cannot use the White House. For these sorts, of, except for these areas of the White House. Huh? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but they're getting this out there, and I promise you, I absolutely promise you, can't solicit money for these donations. So are the names drawn out of a hat? Do you think the names are drawn randomly? Hey, you just gave $100,000 to the Democratic National Committee, and congratulations, that entered you in the... Biden bingo game. You get to come over for the White House to the White House for dinner. Whatever you do, don't ask for a tour of the Oval Office, okay? Anybody believe that? Even if it started out that way, we'll just invite top donors. We don't tell anybody. There doesn't have to be a specific thing. They're donors, first of all. And then how many people who gave 20 bucks in response to an email got invited? That's That would be my next question. Can we get a breakdown? We don't need the names. I'd like a breakdown of the dollar amounts given. Names would be nice, too. But I want to know what the threshold is. Is it somebody who gave five bucks? How many of them got in compared to how many people who gave $50,000? And what are the industries that the people who made gave five bucks are representing? Did they, what did they discuss versus what did the people who could pony up a hundred grand discuss? Which one do you think is more likely to get government subsidies and government contracts? I can promise you it's not the dude who gave five bucks. Politics might be the only industry in the world where you could be breaking the law and then the lawyers go, we, we advise you to stop breaking the law. And they go, all right, well, I'll take that under advisement. Because especially the guy who controls the Justice Department, right? You saw the links to which 
the Republicans had to go in order to get his degenerate, crack-smoking, prostitute-loving, human-traffic-engaging son to go and face any consequences at all. He's a tax dodge. He's a tax cheat. Millions of dollars he didn't pay in taxes. And you go, well, he's being charged now. Yeah, sort of. But the Justice Department let the most serious charges he could have faced in the most egregious times of his tax cheating, 2014 to 2017, when Joe was vice president, they let that lapse. They let the statute of limitations on that one lapse. He can no longer be charged on that. Joe was vice president of the United States at that time. His degenerate, crack-smoking, prostitute-loving son was paid $80,000 a month to work in an industry he had no knowledge and no prior experience in. In a country he'd never visited, in a language he didn't speak. And oh, by the way, a couple of months after his dad left the vice presidency, that sweetheart deal, the pay was cut in half. Why? Well, because the only thing they were paying him for is for that. Is gone. Joe was out of the Oval Office. They kept him on the hook for 40 grand just because in case maybe Joe ran again in 2020, which it paid off, or in case if they cut him off completely, Joe Biden still knew a whole bunch of administrators in the deep state who could call in and mess up what Burisma was getting from our government. So they kept that. And that guy, that guy's advised, hey, you know, you should probably stop breaking the law. At some point, be aware. We advise you, you're free to do, of course, what you wish, Mr. President. But boy, howdy, we'd sure like it if you stopped breaking the law. Well, okay, there you go. Fair enough. We will stop reporting that we're breaking the law. Wait, what? No, that's not what I said. That's good enough. Out of sight, out of mind. Remember when tra- remember these people, all they all run on transparency. We're going to show you what's going on. We're going to tell you what's going on. It's your money. Those evil Republicans, they keep stuff secret. We're going to tell you what it is. Well, the Boston Herald, John Kerry's climate office, costs taxpayers $4.3 million a year, yet he refuses to divulge the names of the people who work for it. What? Jet-setting climate czar John Kerry doles out six-figure salaries to all but one Loan policy analyst in his office who just misses the lofty mark in the first public records release of the Herald from a notoriously secretive presidential envoy. It's a rare glimpse into Kerry's fiefdom that hits up taxpayers for $4.3 million per year, according to records obtained through the Freedom of Information Act. Kerry, however, does not reveal the names of anyone on his staff and redacts the titles of eight top aides paid up to $186,680 a year. It's a pretty sweet deal. The 27 entries include brief titles from policy analyst to senior advisor, but bi-weekly and bi-weekly pay. It's unclear if Kerry is on the list. Kerry's climate website does list Rick Duke and Susie Benaz as deputy special envoys, Yet the FOIA release does not list them. An equally reticent State Department told the Herald they, quote, consider the foreseeable harm standard, end quote, 
in exempting names of government employees and some titles. These people are making almost $200,000 a year. They are unaccountable whatsoever. Nobody knows who they are. You can't subpoena them if you don't know who they are. And uh, they won't tell you who they are because, well, there could be harm to them. No, realistically, you could find out that he's paying off leftist professors to then conduct, quote-unquote, studies in academia that come to the conclusions that John Kerry needs in order to continue to advance his climate agenda. You can see one hand washes the other, and then both hands touch themselves because that's how government works. Before I uh, move on, I, I do want to play one more clip of audio because I know you're sitting there going, Trump, you're so critical of Trump. It may seem like that, but I want to win. That's what I want is I want to win. I think it's important that we win. And so I want to point out something that I think that Trump did well. Could have been done better, but he did well. Yesterday in the town hall with Fox News, he was asked because boneheadedly he'd at one of his rallies, see, there are two Trumps. There's a Trump that you'd say, that guy should be, that guy could be president, he'd be a good president. And then there's the Trump, he's like, God, that guy shouldn't be president. And at one of his rallies, like, I will, like me, I will be your retribution. Okay. Uh, I, I just want a good, pre I don't want retribution. I want somebody to be good as president. That's all. That's all. Didn't, Shouldn't be that hard. Last night, he actually addressed this, uh, not addressed that directly, but he addressed the use of the word. And I thought he, his answer was good. And it's like, yes, do the, this should have been the, the mantra all along. There are questions about how much a second term of a Donald Trump presidency, second term, would be about retribution and looking backwards and grievances and how much would be looking forward. I'm not going to have time for retribution. We're going to make this country so successful again. I'm not going to have time for retribution. And, and remember this. Our ultimate retribution is success. Great answer. If he had said that instead or not said it in the first place, that is a great answer. Why is that a great answer versus what he said? Because most of the stuff he said at rallies and when he was talking about that, it was about him. It was about him. They're coming after me and blah, 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 blah. And I hate this prosecutor and this pro Fannie Willis has got some serious problems. The woman down in, in Atlanta going after him, she's apparently been shoveling like a million dollars to her, her boyfriend on the case, to work on the case for no good reason. And she got the money uh, claiming that she her office needed it for COVID. Like all this sort of stuff. There's, there's going to be bigger problems, I can imagine, if this is what they found so far. But... If he could just stick to the issues, nothing terrifies Democrats more than a president, a presidential Donald Trump. They can't run against that. They can run against the guy who's up there doing his stand-up routine. He's up there attacking judges and criticizing this, that, and the other thing and complaining about this, that, and the other company. That guy they can run against. That guy turns off a lot of people. That guy they want to highlight. That guy they want to get. They can easily beat that guy. The guy who is, says, no, no, no. You want to come after me? Fine. What doesn't matter? What I was going to do, what I'm going to do is I'm going to win and we're going to make this country great again. And that's it. And we're going to make it better. And, you know, we're going to be too busy 
for all this petty stuff. That is tougher to run against because it goes against type. They think they know what they're dealing with with Donald Trump. That would be a curveball. So to sit there and say, I will be your retribution. We will have our revenge. Whatever. Like, okay, that, that turns off a lot of people. Last night, we're going to be too busy winning. We're going to be too busy doing this, that, and the other thing. Things are going to be too good. Let them people, the best revenge is living well. That's the attitude, I think, that would draw a lot more people to it if we just see that a little bit more. I want to play you one more thing because I think this is funny. <laughs> Somebody cut the... God bless you. It's a 30-second ad. Realistically, what you really need is like an ad featuring Joe Biden with the visiting angels, America's choice for hope, running under it with all the B-roll of Joe being confused, getting off stage and somebody coming up and leading him away. And there's your visiting angel. But this is pretty damn good, too. This is the uh, <laughs> Joe. You got to it's fine audio, but you should seek it out. I think it's in my Twitter feed. At Derek A. Hunter. Um, it is White House Senior Living. At White House Senior Living, our residents feel right at home. Our vibrant facility offers delightful activities and outings, round-the-clock professional care, and exquisite house-made meals. Well, I've been eating everything that's put in front of me, but I've been eating all, all Italian food, basically. And ice cream. And ice cream, chocolate chip ice cream. White House Senior Living, where residents feel like presidents. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, God, he looked so horrible on uh, on New Year's Eve. I've been eating everything, everything, everything. Okay, that's good, Joe. Pat you on the head now. Back into he just strikes. I, the rumors are that he sleeps nude, and he likes to skinny dip and all of that, and he walks around out of the pool in front of especially the female Secret Service agent because he's a creep. Uh, naked. He likes that. They had a, co a code for it and everything for the to warn the Secret Service that the, the vi then vice president was coming unclothed. Cobra. That was what they would say over the cobra. Uh, look it up. Don't take my word for it. But uh, he now strikes you as the kind of guy who wears those old-timey really long like I don't know what you call it, sleeping gowns or something you know some people you just look at and you go that guy sleeps in two piece pajamas the button. and some people you look at and you go that guy sleeps in like three piece four piece pajamas he's got the pajama bottoms a pajama shirt a pajama vest and a pajama jacket that just so uptight like that you just look at him and you go that's that's got to be what they sleep in Joe is kind of the long shirt, nightgown, and maybe the cap. And he's up 15, 16 times a night to pee, to yell at the cat they don't have, and to uh, think the day has started long before it does, about four or five times. I just love Find that video because it's damn funny. <laughs> I've been eating a lot of chocolate ice cream, chocolate chip ice cream. Yes, you have, Joe. God forbid. He's the kind of president who they expressly order the guy carrying the nuclear football to be far away from him. I don't even want him accidentally. I don't want to make eye contact with the president so that he might say, who's that guy? What does he do? Because then he might start a nuclear war. 
All right. Uh, there was big news outside of the world of politics today. Bill Belichick has been let go. He has been invited to leave. They've uh, parted ways with the New England Patriots. He's 71 years old. He is, by my looking at it, the second winningest coach in all of NFL history. Don Shula being number one. Don, you sit there and you look at some of these numbers. You have to remember that for a long time they played like 12 games a year, then they played 16 games a year. Now they're 17 or 18 games a year, whatever it is. But uh, not a lot of games per year. So the winningest coach in NFL history, Don Shula, has 347 wins. And you go, Bill Belichick, right behind him at 333 wins. And you go, well, why wouldn't you stick around? Well, don't you want that record? Maybe Bill Belichick does want the record. Maybe he will get a job. At, there's a whole bunch of teams out there who will be looking for somebody, and Bill Belichick's as good as anybody. But he only needs 14 wins to tie Don Shula. Wouldn't you stick around for those 14 wins or let him stick around for those? He won four games this season. It could be a long time. There's no guarantee in the NFL that you're going to get 14 wins. Most coaches don't get 14 wins. So the closest is uh, Andy Reid at 280, the other closest active person. Andy Reid is not going to be on anybody's bingo card for like living a long life. But at a certain point, you've won six Super Bowls. The team you oversee is gone. It's well, not gone, but it is not the team you oversaw. The team you're overseeing is not the team you oversaw. There are two ways to look at it as, you know, Bill Belichick wants to stick around or wanted to stick around to uh, try to rebuild the team. He wanted the legacy or he just, you know, didn't want to quit, didn't want to spend time with family, whatever. I think it's, I think Bill Belichick and Tom Brady didn't really like each other all that much. I think that's been wildly reported that they, they liked each other because they, they got the best out of each other. But as far as personally, they didn't like each other. And that Tom Brady went to Tampa Bay and won a Super Bowl. It was Brady and Belichick. It was who's, you know, you can't have one without the other. It's like the song Love and Marriage. You can't have one without the other. And Tom Brady said, sure, I can. And went down to Tampa Bay and won a Super Bowl. And had a pretty good, you know, couple of years there. But he won the Super Bowl in there. Should have retired after that. He should not have come back the next year. But that's beside the point. He proved that he could do it without Belichick. And the way and the shape that the Patriots are in kind of show that Belichick might not be able to do it without Tom Brady. Before he was... Uh, I think he was a coach at Cleveland Brown. Like his record, it's it really he's a legendary coach because of what he did in New England, and that's it. Not because of anything he did before him. Good, he was known for all that, but legendary, legendary status was because of New England, and it was really only with Tom Brady. That's got to piss him off, and so he stuck around, and it didn't work out. Will he sign with another team? I don't know. He should if he wants the record. The only reason to do it is if he wants the 348th win. But honestly, I wonder what his net worth is. That's yeah, the first question people ask about him. He's got a $60 million net worth, and he's 71 years old. I'm pretty sure he's going to be okay financially. 
the real question is, does he want to spend time with family or does he want to pursue anger? At some point, he's going to be, a, I don't know, I've never really, he's a growly, grumpy old dude. So I'm not sure he'd make a very good TV analyst. But that'd be the the way to go is, you know what, I work one day a week, I'll only be in studio. It'll be great. It'll be great. If he wants to keep his foot in the game. But if he's got 60 million bucks as net worth, greener pastures, a barca lounger, kids and grand, all that's got to be calling. We'll see. But you know, still a legend, a legend, just like uh, Nick Saban that people are still crying over. Nick Saban, Nick Saban left. He's going to retire. Good. Nick Saban's kind of a jerk. From my mind, Nick Saban's kind of a jerk. I remember when I first heard of him as the head coach of Michigan State Spartans. And he was talking about how he's dedicated. He is absolutely dedicated to the Spartans. He is going to turn his program around, and he's recruiting kids. And then a job at LSU, they come calling, and he's like, oh, uh, yeah, no, screw you guys. I'm going to LSU. I'm dedicated to LSU. I love L- Miami Dolphins want to coach. All right, he goes to the Miami Dolphins. Doesn't do too well there. Doesn't last all that long there. And then he goes to Alabama. And he was very successful there. But I never got over the fact that he screwed over Michigan State, that he lied to everybody. So he is, I don't know if he's the winningest coach in in college football history. I don't care if he's the winningest coach. Uh, I guess, no, I guess he is the winningest coach. 292 and 71 in one tie. In the NFL, God, he sucked in the NFL. He was only 15 and 17 as an NFL coach. And he wasn't all that great in uh, bowl games. 19 and 12. I mean, it's a winning record. He got to play in a lot of bowl games, so that's it. But, yeah, Nick Saban is retiring. He's 72. Will Bill Belichick retire? Will he find another job? I don't know. But, uh It'll be different next season all across the board. Good. Things need to be shaken up a little bit every once in a while. But right now, we need to go on to the weekend. That is all the time we have. Appreciate you listening. Don't forget patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast tonight at midnight, one minute after for the week in effing review. Appreciate it. Have an awesome weekend. See you later.